Jeremiah 15. I want us to read the first 16 verses, and I need to get right into my message. The crux of what I need you to hear this morning is going to be found in my last point. Jeremiah 15, please listen very carefully. This is Jeremiah and God talking to each other. This is what a walk with God is all about. And I want you to catch a thought here that's a little bit different than perhaps what you would normally have as a chapel message, but something the Lord laid on my heart several days ago that I preached to our church, and I feel this is what God wants us to hear today at West Coast Baptist College. Verse 1, Then said the Lord unto me, Though Moses and Samuel stood before me, yet my mind could not be towards this people. Cast them out of my sight, and let them go forth. And it shall come to pass, if they say unto thee, Whither shall we go forth? Uh, then thou shalt tell them, Thus saith the Lord, such is for death to death, and such is for the sword to the sword, and such is for the famine to the famine, and such is for the captivity to the captivity. And I will appoint over them four kinds, saith the Lord, the sword to slay, and the dogs to tear, and the fowls of the heaven, and the beasts of the earth to devour and to destroy. And I will cause them to be removed unto all the kingdoms of the earth, because of Manasseh, the son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for that which he did in Jerusalem. For who shall have pity upon thee, O Jerusalem? Or who shall bemoan thee? Or who shall go aside to ask how thou doest? Thou hast forsaken me, saith the Lord. Thou art gone backwards. Therefore will I stretch up my hand against thee and destroy thee. I am weary with repenting. And I will fan them with a fan in the gates of the land. And I will bereave them of the children. I will destroy my people, since they return not from their ways. Their widows are increased to me above the sand of the sea. I have brought upon, uh, brought upon them against the mother of the young man a spoiler at noonday. I have caused him to fall upon it suddenly and terror upon the city. She that has borne seven languishes. She has given up the ghost. Her son has gone down while it was yet day. She has been ashamed and confounded. And the residue of them will I deliver to the sword before their enemies, saith the Lord. Stop there. That was the sermon for that, next, for that day that Jeremiah was supposed to preach. It wasn't an encouraging sermon. It was about things to come. It was heavy on his heart. For the first nine verses, we have God talking to Jeremiah. Do you notice in verse 10, Jeremiah talking to God. Woe is me. My mother that has borne me a man of strife and a man of contention to the whole earth. I have neither lent on usury, nor men have lent to me on usury. Yet every one of them doth curse me. You catch what's going on in Jeremiah's heart? He's in the blues. He's discouraged. And the Lord now speaks to him. The Lord said, Verily it shall be well with thy remnant. Verily I will cause the enemy to entreat thee well in the time of evil and the time of affliction. Shall iron break the northern iron and, and, and the steel? Thy substance and thy treasures will I give to the spoil without price, and that for all thy sins, even in all thy borders. And I will make thee to pass with thine enemies into a land which thou knowest not. For a land is kindled in my anger, which shall burn upon you. Now Jeremiah's going to talk again. Would you catch this for a moment? This is a great prophet of God who's in a, who's in a place of great discouragement. O Lord, Thou knowest, remember me, and visit me, and revenge me of my persecutors, 
Take me not away in thy long suffering. Know that for thy sake I have suffered rebuke. What do you do when you're in discouragement? Look at verse 16. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy, rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Would you indulge me for just a minute? I want to preach to you a message for just a moment on the dismantling of discouragement. Everyone here, whether student, staff, preacher, faculty, man, woman, husband, wife, son, daughter, grandparent, beginning in the ministry, seasoned in the ministry, everyone goes through discouragement. And the question comes down to, is discouragement going to dismantle you, or do you have the tools to dismantle discouragement? Our Father, this morning, thank you for a victorious week that you've given, again, to West Coast Baptist College. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership of this college. Thank you for the vision that was born out of the heart of Pastor Chapel for training laborers for the harvest. Thank you for the leadership team, which has stayed by the stuff, my good friends like Dr. Getch and Dr. Rasmussen and many of the faculty members here. Thank you for missionaries who've come alongside of this great ministry who are serving here as faculty instructors. Thank you for students who God are in the will of God by being in Bible college today and serving you and endeavoring and dreaming about what you'll do. But perhaps, Lord, we're going to look at a subject in a moment and the tools that you give us to help us as we get through ministry, as we get into ministry and get through it, we have to realize there are just some things that we didn't learn in the classroom that we have to learn through personal experience. And Father, this morning, I pray in the best way I know how that the empowerment of the Spirit would help me today to be a blessing, to be an encouragement, to be the voice of God. I pray that all of our distractions that would hinder us that would blindside us and keep us from catching what is found in this passage of Scripture would be removed. And Father, this morning we just pray that you would help someone who's going through the valley of discouragement or is coming out of discouragement to find that the tool is the Word of God. Would you bless our time together in these remaining moments? I pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It was advertised that the devil was holding a, a sail. And the devil had a table out along several tables that had all the tools that he uses to get men and women to fall into sin. In those tables there were tools like hatred and envy and jealousy and bitterness and, and all of those kind of things there. And each one of them had a price tag on them. That anybody who came by as a passerby would grab one of those tools and say, this is what I'm going to pay the price for. But isolated by itself on one particular table was a tool that was very highly priced. In fact, it was the most expensive tool of all the tools that Satan had laid on on the table. One passerby, one customer came and looked at that tool, was somewhat mesmerized by this tool. It was the most worn out tool that was on the table, and it was the most costly one that was there. And he struck up a conversation with the devil, and I just want to warn you today, it's a dangerous thing to talk with the devil. He struck up a conversation with the devil and he says, why is this tool the most expensive one on, this, on these tables here? Why is this the most expensive? What is this tool? And the devil replied to that man. He says, that tool, my friend, is the tool of discouragement. 
He said, why have you priced it so high? He said, because discouragement is more useful to me than all the other tools you see laid out here. He said, you see, with discouragement, I can take that tool, and if a man gets discouraged, I can pry open his heart and get further into his life and wedge myself much further into the life of that individual than any of the other tools you have finer. He said, it's badly worn because I use it on everyone since most people don't realize that that tool belongs to me. Do you get discouraged? Are you discouraged today? We're one of three categories. Either we are in discouragement, we're coming out of discouragement, we're about to go into discouragement. As you are studying and majoring here at West Coast Baptist College, these are your best days of training for ministry. Most of your days will be good days. You, you're building friendships for a lifetime. You're developing mentorships with faculty and pastors and missionaries and administration that will help you. Those men uh, majoring in preaching and uh, majoring perhaps in evangelism, you'll find Dr. Getch to be someone that will be a mentor to you. Those of you who feel that you've got a strong gift administration, you'll feel like someone like Dr. Rasmussen will be someone that will be a mentor to you. Those of you men who are desiring and feeling that God has given you the gift of pastoring, desire to pastor a church one day, you're going to look to Dr. Chapman and say, that is the man that I want to mentor me. But one of the things you'll find about being in Bible college and going through all the, the, going through all the lectures and all the chapel services and all the things you see, you'll be, you'll be impressed and you'll be burdened about all the success that you see and all the possibilities and exercising faith and those kind of things. But the one thing that Bible college cannot teach you directly through any particular class is what to do when discouragement comes your way. I love the ministry. I'm thankful for the ministry. I'm thankful I get to serve God full time. Amen? I'm thankful I get to see souls saved. I'm thankful for the privilege of presenting the gospel message and watching men and women get saved. I'm thankful for the days when Catholics get saved and Buddhists get saved. And thank God we're trying to get the gospel to Muslims and Muslims getting saved. I'm thankful when people that don't speak English, I can work through a translator and give them the gospel message and that person gets saved. I'm thankful for the ministry as a place where men and women can be mentored and taught how to live for God and be victors in Jesus Christ. I love the privilege of being beside the bedside of someone who's languishing because of a disease and sickness and to give them hope that's found in Jesus Christ. I'm thankful to tell somebody that the God we serve is not an archaic God and he's not a God that's irrelevant, but I want to tell you this morning that the God we serve is a God who's highly relevant. He's the God of all comfort and he's the God of all love and he's the God of all forgiveness and he's the God who answers prayer and he's the God of all grace and he's the God of peace who bruises Satan under our feet even at this time. I remind you today when we get alongside of someone who's down and discouraged and looking for hope, we can present them about a God who's real. But I'll tell you this morning, every one of us gets to this place where no matter how much we thrive in ministry, and no matter how many friends we have in ministry, and no matter how, no matter how many prayers we see answered, and no matter how, how many souls we see saved, and baptisms that occur, and growth in our church, discouragement will always find its way into our lives. Discouragement will break you, or discouragement will build you. Discouragement will grieve you, or discouragement will grow you. You either will be a victim of discouragement, or you will decide to be a victor over discouragement. We're looking at a man of God, a man who's considered one of the major prophets, a man who we've affectionately called the weeping prophet, a man going through a serious, serious time of discouragement. 
Would you notice with me some things about Jeremiah as he looks, we look at his life here in chapter 15 and some things that unfold and how God helps us through Jeremiah to find the solution and the answer and the, and the cure for this matter of, 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 dis, of discouragement. First of all, would you notice the reasons that we have discouragement? There are the manifold reasons. Discouragement doesn't come in any one particular way. There are manifold reasons and times that discouragement comes. Look at Jeremiah's life for just a moment. Notice in verse 10 some description he gives us about his discouragement. He says, woe is me. He's describing the grief that he's feeling. This is not the woe that you feel if you're on a, one of those major rides there at Great America or down there at five flag, uh, at Six Flags when you go, woo, when you go like that. That's not the kind of woe he's talking about. He's saying, woe is me. There's grief. There's sorrow in his heart. He's broken. He's weeping. He's crying. He said, woe is me. And he curses the day that he was born. He does that here and he does that in chapter 20. He says, my mother has borne me a man of contention and strife. He says, man, look at my, my life here, man. I've, I've been brought into the scene where I, where I just feel like I'm in the middle of controversy and the king doesn't love me and the elders don't love me and the people don't love me and I'm just trying to obey God and do what God wants you to do. We read later on, he gets so discouraged that he considers that even God has deceived him with the ministry that he was called to do and he forgot that God said, don't worry about their faces and don't be afraid of them. I will protect you through all this. But he's a man that's discouraged. Notice in verse 10, he, said, he talks about his honesty and his integrity in life. He's saying, Lord, I don't have any secret sins in my life. He says, I have neither lent on usury nor men have lent to me on usury. He said, I've not been like my like my, my colleagues here who are charging, who are lending money on and charging exorbitant interest, and nor have I taken it that way. He said, I haven't done any of those things, Lord. And in verse 10, he says, Yet doth everyone curse me. You go down to verse 15, and he talks about his persecution, and he talks about Lord about the just going through just times of long suffering. And then you go down to verse 18, and he's hurt inside. Listen, when discouragement comes, you get hurt inside. And he talks about his pain being perpetual. And and his wound being incurable. He says, in fact, it refuses to be healed. Hey, listen, if you're not very careful, if you let discouragement have its way and work its way into your heart, it works its way throughout all of your, all of your life and all of your spiritual being, and you find yourself changing and morphing, you're not the person that used to have the joy of the Lord and the happiness of God because discouragement has gotten its way. Oh, listen, this morning as we look at this man by the name of Jeremiah, I want you to understand, he had it bad. He was down. He was discouraged. Listen, I want to tell you there's some things that happen the cause discouragement. Disappointment causes discouragement. As you go through ministry, you're going to face disappointments. You're going to find out the people who made a promise to you will not keep that promise. People will disappoint you. Deacons will disappoint you. Friends will disappoint you. You might even get to the place where your spouse might disappoint you. You might have a preacher that you consider a mentor, someone that you idolize that might change on their doctrine or change in terms of their philosophy and ministry, and that might disappoint you. I'm just saying today, disappointments come. Disappointments are part of the ministry. Missionaries might disappoint you. A doctor's diagnosis about a disease or sickness might disappoint you. Listen, disappointment leads to discouragement. Disagreement leads to discouragement. Listen, as we get into ministry and serve God, we've got to realize that we have to set some, some lines. We have to set down the ancient landmarks. We have to understand where we stand and what we believe because if you don't determine that now, you'll be someone who will drift and flow whichever way the wind blows. Listen, there are going to be times as you get into ministry, you're going to find that some of your friends have drifted and changed on you. You're going to find they don't believe the same things that you dreamed about and talked 
talked about. You're going to see some that are kind of stepping over a line they should not have gone over, and they're going to be drifting a different direction. You're going to find that as you believe the Bible, that the people you're ministering to, as you preach to them and teach the Word of God, they may disagree with you. You might get into a deacon's meeting and find out the deacons disagree with you. You might have a ladies' fellowship and think the ladies are all with you, ladies, and then you find out the ladies disagree with you. I just say today, when disagreement comes, it can discourage you. In ministry, we have to realize that people will disagree with you. Oh, this morning, disappointment will lead to discouragement, and disagreement leads to discouragement, but disillusionment leads to discouragement. Here we find this prophet of God who's greatly disillusioned about being in the ministry. In fact, he got so discouraged, if you go to Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says, I will no more speak in his name. You'll get so discouraged, preacher, you might feel like you want to quit the ministry. You might start thinking about reading an ad in the newspaper somewhere and think about, maybe I should pursue a career in real estate, or maybe I should go into insurance sales, or maybe I should do something else. He said, this matter of the ministry is just too discouraging for me. And Jeremiah was at that place We said, I'm tired of preaching. I'm tired of my message. I'm disillusioned with people looking at me at the way they do and cursing me. And listen, as we read through the scriptures, we also find out here in verse 17 that he was lonely. Listen, discouragement will lead to loneliness. You feel like you're all by yourself. Your song that you sing is not amazing. Grace, so sweet to sell. But your song will be, nobody knows the troubles that I've seen. David got discouraged and he said, no man cared for my soul. John the Baptist got discouraged. He said, art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Gideon had an appearance from the Lord Jesus Christ, and he called him a mighty man of valor. He said, Gideon, you're the man. Listen, I, you've got my blessing upon your life and the anointing of God in your life. I want to use you. But Gideon was such a discouraged man. He said, oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befalling us? And where be all these miracles which our Father told us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. Elijah, the great prophet of God, got discouraged. He said, it's enough, O Lord. Take away my life, for I'm not better than my father's. Paul, while he was languishing, and he was in the, well, not languishing, but he was in the prison there. He was in that Mamertine prison, and I imagine every day he could hear the executioner sharpen the cutting instrument that would sever his head from his body, and he would die as a martyr for Jesus Christ. He was thinking about that moment of time, and he just reflects on it, and he just shares his heart to you and to me and to Pastor Timothy, and he said, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou where also, for he has greatly withstood our words. And here's his discouragement. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. And beloved, discouragement's real. There are manifold reasons. Discouragement is not only real. Discouragement is a robber. Discouragement is a miserable robber. Discouragement tries to find its way to rob you and steal from you what God has given to you. Hey, listen to me today. If discouragement is coming your way, you're going to identify with this. Discouragement will rob you of your focus. The devil can... Get you out of focus, he'll get you discouraged. You're not thinking about the big picture. You're not thinking about other people. You're thinking about your problem. Discouragement robs you of your sense. I've watched discouraged people along the way, and I have to guard my heart, and you do too. Because if we're not very careful, discouraged, you do things that don't make sense when you're discouraged. 
You go to places you would not normally go to when you walk with God. You engage in conversation and associations you would not normally get involved with when you get discouraged. It's amazing how uh, nonsensical some things are that we do. We go from being faithful and dependable to becoming unfaithful and unreliable. I watch discouraged people. I watch people that come to church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, and I text them during the week, and I pray for them, and I pray with them, and I preach to them, and I love them, and try to do everything I can. And then discouragement sets in, and they don't tell you that they're discouraged. And all of a sudden, you notice the signs of discouragement. They stop coming Sunday nights and they're sporadic on Wednesday nights and then they get to the place where they're barely there on Sunday mornings and you start watching the tithing record. They're not giving like they used to and you look at their face, it's gloomy and the blues have set in. Listen, when you get discouraged, you lose all sense of what you should be doing. I remind you today, discouragement will take away your strength. Spurgeon said this, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows but only empties today of its strength. Discouragement will rob your strength. Discouragement will take away your joy. Discouragement will rob you of your faith. Listen, instead of faith, fear sets in. You trust in yourself more than in God. You trust in your circumstances more than God. Listen, we get that place where we're no longer exercising faith. We're walking and living out of fear. If you're not very careful, discouragement will rob you of your kindness. You become a cynical person, a critical person. The first step to critical spirit is a person who's discouraged. Discouragement will rob you of your productivity. You're no longer serving God with enthusiasm. You're not a person filled with zealous with good works. You lose interest in winning souls. You lose interest in spending long periods of time in prayer with God. You're not in the Word of God. You're looking for answers somewhere outside the Word of God. I just say today, as we look at discouragement, discouragement is real, and discouragement's a robber, but we're not going to stay on discouragement because if we stayed there, we'd have no answer, amen? Because I want to tell you this morning that discouragement has a remedy. Discouragement has a medicinal remedy. You don't have to stay in discouragement. Yeah, we're going to be like Jeremiah. We're going to feel lonely. And yeah, we're going to be like Jeremiah. We're going to feel like we're persecuted. And yeah, we're going to be like Jeremiah. We're going to feel like nobody cares about where we're at. And our soul is overwhelmed. And we can't get past that situation. But we need to get to place like old Jeremiah did here in Jeremiah 15. Here was a man discouraged, cursing the day he was born. Here was a man that felt like he was all by himself and persecuted. He wanted to quit preaching. And then one day, he made a discovery. And then one day, he made discovery every Christian needs to discover. He made a discovery that's so important. He made a discovery that helped his life. He said in verse 16, oh, he got into his Bible, and I remind you, he didn't have a book that was bound like we've got. He got into his Bible, which was perhaps a scroll. Maybe he opened the book of Psalms. Maybe he opened Psalms 34. Maybe he opened Psalms 103. Maybe he opened Psalms 140. I'm not sure where he read, but he got into the Word of God. He may have started reading through Numbers. He may have started reading through Deuteronomy. He may have started reading through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel. He started reading about David and his discouragement. He started reading about what other men of God did during the discouragement. He read about the prophets of old. He read about what Elijah did during the discouragement. And he said this as he got into his Bible. He went into his room. He went into his little prayer chamber. And he closed the door. And he opened the windows. He said, he put a sign outside that door. Do not disturb. And he got to reading the Word of God. And he got to place. Instead of just reading the Word of God, he said, I'm going to eat the Word of God. And the Word of God got control of him. And in verse 16, he said, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy words went unto me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. For I'm called by thy name, O Lord my God. Hey, brother and sister Christ, I've got some good news for you. When you're discouraged, your medicine, your remedy, your care is God's holy word for your life. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. 
The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Moreover by them is thy servant warned. In the keeping of them there is great reward. Who shall cleanse who can understand his errors? Who cleansed thou me from secret faults? Jeremiah, when his place of discouragement, when he was ready to throw in the towel, he got into God's Word, and he just didn't read God's Word. He didn't open a little devotional book this summer and said, I wonder what our daily bread has to say. I wonder what this devotion has to say. No, he got into God's Word. He said, thy words were found. He kept reading, and he kept on eating, he kept on digesting, and taking much of the Word of God. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing in my heart. Listen to me, college student. Listen to me, faculty member, listen to me preach your friend today you're going to get discouraged and I'm going to get discouraged and listen, when we get that place we get that place like Moses and Israel were they got to the place where they're at the Red Sea and the Bible describes your situation as being shut in and there was no way out and listen, you might get to a place where you feel like you're shut in and you feel like there's no way out and you feel like there's no answer you wonder what to do and the Red Sea's in front of you and the Egyptian army's behind you, you can't go backwards and you don't know how to go forward, listen, what we need to do is go into Exodus chapter 14 and start reading about how God performed and God started working for Israel and Moses and Moses stood there with the rod of God in his hand and God said, get off your knees. He said, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And then he stood up upon a rock with that rod extended over that Red Sea. He told those children of Israel, you go forward. I'm going to tell you today, when you get shut in and you feel like there's no way out, remember this in Exodus 14, God will always make a way. You get the place in life where people just people get upset with you and you get the place where people are against you and people criticize you and maybe your temperamental nature and maybe, maybe your, your, your facade and your nature is you can't take criticism very well. You be careful because bitterness will set in. You get the place where bitterness sets in. And by the way, bitterness is in all of us. It's a root that springs up. It's inside you. It's a hidden root. But when it starts to spring up, it's a harmful root. When that root of bitterness springs up, it defiles many. It begins by defiling you and defiles many others. Listen, you get the place where you've been on a journey and you've been exercising faith and you've been praying to God and you've been giving your tithe and you're giving the extra offerings, but you get discouraged and bitterness comes in. Listen, let's go back to Exodus chapter 15 and read about how Israel went on a three-day journey and there was no water and they came the waters of Mara, and Mara means bitter, and they drank those bitter waters. They took one, one zip and they said, whoa, we can't drink these waters. These are bitter waters. Oh, listen, we need to read Exodus 15 and remind ourselves how God told Moses, here, here's a tree over here, Moses. I want you to cut the tree down, take the tree, and throw it into the water, and those bitter waters will be made sweet. I'm going to tell you today, when those bitter waters come, go back to the cross of Jesus Christ and get the cross back in your focus and get the cross back in your perspective. Listen, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my, lo my life was rolled away. It was there by faith I saw the light. And now I'm happy all the day. We need to get to the place where our bitterness doesn't overtake us. But the cross of Jesus Christ gives us back our joy. You're going to get to the place in life. You're going to be in a valley of Elon. We all will. You're going to be in a valley of Elon. Your heroes aren't going forward. Your heroes won't take on the giant. But listen, God calls on you to take the giant. And you see this nine foot, nine inch tall giant with armor that weighs more than you and a spear that's bigger than you. And he's boasting to you that you can't beat him. Listen, we need to get that place when the giant of discouragement comes. We get inside of 1 Samuel 17 and we read 1 Samuel 17 and start reading about how God raised up a young, unknown, obscure young man by the name of David. And David said, is there not a cause? And he went out and faced that giant. He says, you come to me with your sword and with your armor, but I come to you in the name of the living God. And you get into 1 Samuel 17, and you say like Jeremiah, thy words were found, and I, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoice in my heart. And you decide at that moment in time, the giant's not going to defeat you, but you're going to defeat the giant in the name of the Lord. Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoice in my heart. Oh, listen to me, you're going to get to the place of ministry. You're going to get to the place of ministry where the weights are heavy. 
The cross is too hard to bear. And you're going to feel yourself like Jesus after he'd been scourged and whipped and hurt. Then you're going to feel yourself as the weight of the cross is put on. You're going to find yourself dropping on one knee. And you're going to wonder, how can I make it? And you can't lift the cross. You need someone to help you. And you're going to look at that journey as you leave that place where he was whipped. And you look at Golgotha's hill. And you're going to say, it's too far to go. I can't make the journey. It's too hard for me to go. Unless we get the place when the burdens are heavy. And the ministry feels like it's hard. And people are against you. And even the devil whispers in your ear, get out of the ministry. Change your position. Don't have a Baptist position. Don't be a separated Christian. Don't be a so many Christian. You'll feel that weight when we get that place. Listen, today, we need to do like Jeremiah. We need to go over to Matthew chapter 27, and we need to go to Mark chapter 15, and we need to go to Luke chapter 22 and 23, and we need to get over to Mar John chapter 19, and we need to read about our Savior, how He carried that cross, how He made it all the way, in spite of the darkness that covered the earth from 12 noon to 3 in the afternoon, we could see our Savior, that He went all the way, He endured the cross. Our mind today you read those chapters and you get into Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 to 3 and remind yourself we're foreseeing we're compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses let us run with patience the race that is set before us looking into Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is now set down at the right hand of God for consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners lest ye be wearied and fading your mind I'm telling you today when you get discouraged and you're down look to Jesus look to Jesus look at that cross remind yourself if Jesus could do it, I can do it in the glory of God. Church I got saved and baptized in. in the early 90s ran as many 12 and 1300 people in California. Northern California. My pastor got saved under Disgraced himself and had to leave the ministry. The church was in upheaval at that time. Churches were shifting. New Year's Eve was a deacon at that time. I sat with my deacon friends. I grew up with these men. I thought we believed the same things. And they were grieving because of people that had been hurt, and we needed to be. And all this discussion on New Year's Eve, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. And I'm not saying any of that was bad, it was all good. But it was taking the church to a place advancing forward for Jesus Christ. We're just going to focus on our problems and be introspective. And I told my friends, I said, man, those are all good things. But we've got to get the church off the right start. We're void of pastoral leadership right now. We need to get pastoral leadership here. Man, we've got to get this thing on the right start. We need a theme that just tells them, listen, maybe, maybe the walls are broken down. Or maybe there's some rubble on the ground. But let's rebuild the broken walls. The nine deacons, all eight of them said to me, Alan, that's fine, but not now. The church went from being, the church was on fire for God. Declined, 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 declined. It changed his position. It changed major doctrines. It got onto the fads of the day. By the way, there's nothing new under the sun. Guys, you're looking for new ideas? You don't need a new idea. You need a fresh infusion of God's power. Amen. 
Throw away your Kellers and your Platts. Get Jesus. I'm in one of, the, one of the hardest areas of all the United States of America. God's doing it there, not because of me. God's doing it because it's God. Amen. We're in a $6 million building program. We don't have the money, but God does. And I'm going to tell you, I was discouraged. Listen, I told Dr. R this, but it got so bad. I, took a stand, I had to take a stand against Calvinism because some of our guys were opening up and saying, well, let's have the speaker come in. And I'd say, what's he believe about Calvinism? And they said, why are you asking that question? That's being divisive. That's not being divisive. That's being doctrine correct. Right. Amen. Right. I said, listen, the preacher may have messed up, but God doesn't mess up. God's word doesn't change. Amen. The pastor might have messed up, but the office of pastor is still biblical. It still works. We've got to go back to the Bible. And they took me and they said, Brother Fong, we need you to come to a meeting after morning service on a particular Sunday. Now, I don't want to describe this, but Dr. Getz, it was one of the most, it was the most humiliating moment of my life. I've had doors slammed in my face. I've had Rottweilers attack me from the door. Praise God I wasn't bit, amen? I had a guy on drugs threaten me with their knives, and I've watched a guy go like this knowing he's got a gun in his back. That's my area. But never was I more humiliated than from 1.30 in the afternoon to 3 o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. The same men that I thought believed the same thing I believe asking me questions like, what's your position on Calvinism? Then shutting me down. Or asking me a stupid question like, what do you think about slits in a woman's skirt? I said, what? Not one thing I was asked aside from Calvinism was doctrine related. And one of their staff members said to me, Brother Fong, I'm just going to tell you, the reason why we're having this meeting, because you're dangerous and men like you divide a church. I felt so humiliated. And I don't have to describe this to you, but I walked out probably as discouraged I'd ever been at that moment in my time. I had tears coming down my face. My wife said, I prayed for you, how'd it go? I said, honey, we're leaving. Not because I've been humiliated. I've had one, I had God give me one more chance to just tell them where we're at with the hope that they realize they've erred and gone away from the faith. And I said, they're not gonna change, we gotta go. God put in my heart, and these men know about it, that we needed a church in the Bay Area. Can I tell you something this morning? Heritage Baptist Church was born out a heart of discouragement. I got called when I got ordained to the ministry. Pastor Chapel, Dr. R, several other good men came up to ordain me into the gospel ministry. I can't describe it, but that Sunday was just like, wow. That following Wednesday, I had made an appointment. And my wife called me up. It was 4.30 in the afternoon. I was driving back to church. And my wife, if you know her, is a very upbeat person. She rare, in fact, I don't even remember one time she's ever gotten discouraged, to be honest with you. Just, she's a very upbeat person. She said, Alan, I got the test results back. She took a test for cancer back in January. We had forgotten about it. This is now March. I just got the test results back. I tested positive. There's no history of cancer in her family. In fact, her family is a very healthy family. I was speechless. 
I didn't know what to say. And I can't tell you all the things going through my mind. But I will tell you this, I was discouraged. God got her through that. 18 months later, she went for routine checkup. 18 months to the day, they said, Mrs. Fong, we found cancer again somewhere else. Our world is swirling. She got through that. And several years went by. She cleared a five-year marker. And I'm just going to tell you this. Don't be discouraged. I'm going to tell you this. Once you have cancer, it really doesn't go away. There's still cancer there. And she went in for another test. They said, we don't like what we see. We thought we're past this stuff. Church is growing. Signing times. Mrs. Foggy, we found this. The day of her surgery, we're told to show up at 6. We got there 545. They had a delay that morning. So go wait in the waiting room. We got you checked out, did your test. We'll call you when we're ready to have you go in. We sat in the waiting area. We were the first ones there. I brought my backpack. I brought my Bible. I said, and I was discouraged. I'm going to be truthful. I was discouraged. But I was trusting God. I read my Bible and I started reading, of all things, the book of Jeremiah. This was my prayer. Lord, something here is here that you want me to get. And as the room was filling up, people were coming in. They said, hey, there's something about you, man. They said, man, there's something about you. Are you a preacher? Now, I didn't have my tie on that date, but they said, are you a preacher? Amen. Maybe I need to comb my hair right or something, you know what I mean? Are you a preacher? Are you a pastor? I said, yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. They said, is that the Bible you're reading there? I said, yeah. They said, we figured you're a preacher because very few people read a Bible when they're in the waiting room. And while we're waiting for her to go in, we got to pray with lots of different people and read the scripture. Jeremiah said, thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing in your heart. Listen, that, that, that day when we were there, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 17. What a great chapter. There's so many good things in chapter 17 about trusting God and believing the Lord. And I've read verse 7, blessed is the man that trusts in the Lord, whose hope the Lord is. And that encouraged my soul. But I'm going to tell you what encouraged my soul that brought meaningfulness to what I just read in Jeremiah 15, 16. I want you to look at verse 14. And I share this only with a few people, but I felt liberty today. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you need to share this with the students and the faculty at West Coast Baptist College. Because I'm, I'm at the place in my life where I'm wondering, my wife is down that cancer valley once again. And I'm not sure how this is all going to turn out and I didn't have a chance to talk to the cancer surgeon until after that, that surgery and as I was reading it in my heart every wondering what's going on and while the delays God gave me verse 14 read it verse 14 chapter 17 heal me O Lord and I shall be healed the words were found and I did eat them they were the joy and rejoice in my heart you'll get discouraged but get to God's word Henry VIII died on January 8th, 1547. When he died, his nine-year-old son Edward was the heir to take the throne. Now, I don't know about you, man. I would not trust my life with a nine-year-old. Amen? I was preaching this the other night, and I looked at a family on the front row, and they had a nine-year-old son. I said, Daniel, how old are you? He said, nine. I said, Anthony, I would not trust my life with your son. Amen? Nine years old. The coronation day was set. 
and all the hype and all the ceremonialism, and he's got his robe on, he's got his crown on. The three men of the kingdom came and presented three swords. They laid it out in front of him. Each one represented a segment of the kingdom that he ruled over. And nine-year-old Edward looked at those swords and he was perturbed in his face, his bother in his heart. And they looked and said, Sire, what's wrong? He said, there's something wrong here. They said, what's wrong? We, we brought the swords. We're going through the ceremony. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. There's a sword missing. There's a sword missing. They said, what sword is missing? He said, the Bible, the Word of God is missing. And he said this, the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. To be preferred before these three swords. Without that sword, we are nothing. We have nothing. We have not power. From the Bible, we are what we are to this day. Under the Bible, the Word of God, we ought to live, to fight, to govern the people, and to assume all of our affairs. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. Thy words were unto me the joy, rejoicing my heart. Warren Wiersbe said, the remedy for discouragement is the Word of God. When you feed your heart and mind with His truth, you regain your perspective and find renewed strength. Spurgeon said a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. On the East Coast, there was a high school. A student had committed suicide. Riveted the entire, the entire campus. They closed down school. They brought in grief counselors to help the student, especially those who were close to the student. Everyone was devastated. A young high school teacher there by the name of Glenn realized this was a moment to capitalize on, to instill some good values and principles to those young people. He said, I know it's very hard, but he said, I want you to do something. He got his class together, and this went from class to class to class after that. I want all of you to sit down. Here's some paper. I want you to think about one person that you're going to write a thank you note to in the midst of all this. And just tell them, whoever that person is, why you're thankful for their influence in your life. High school girl, their name's Sandy. Her mother was a single parent that took care of her. Sandy had a rocking relationship with her mother. One of those tough ones. Maybe you understand that. And Sandy started thinking, she says, you know, my mom and I don't have a good relationship, but I better take some time to tell my mom I love her and I thank her for what she's done for me. And Sandy wrote something like this, Dear Mom, we had some rough times, and I haven't always been a good daughter, but I know I'm lucky to have you in my life. You're the best person I've ever known, and even when I disagree with you, I never doubt you love me and want what's best for me. Thanks for not giving up on me. Love, Sandy. Sandy's mom read it that, that evening. She came. Sandy had left it on the kitchen table. She opened it up and read it. and She went through the first time. Tears were welling up in her eyes. She couldn't contain the tears anymore. The tears flowed, and she cried. She looked at Sandy and they embraced as a mother and daughter can only embrace. And she said, Sandy, I love you very much. She said, oh, mom, I love you too. They hugged and embraced for a long period of time. Finally, mom said, Sandy, you got school tomorrow. I've got work tomorrow. 
Let's get some rest. Sandy washed up, went to bed, went to sleep very, very soundly. She was just happy she'd gotten things right with her mother. But her mom stayed up that night and wrote a letter back to Sandy. The next morning, Sandy woke up and she found right by her bedside a wonderfully nice envelope that was sealed. And she could tell by the handwriting on it was from her mother. Listen to what her mother's letter said. Dearest Sandy, I want you to know being your mother is by far the most important thing in my life. Until I got your note, I thought I had lost your love and respect. I felt like such a failure. I intended to end all of that last night, but your note saved my life. Listen, I'm done. Discouragement's real. Discouragement's a robber. Discouragement has a remedy. This will save your life. Amen. This will save the life of sinners we minister to. Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me, the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Are you discouraged? Cheer up. God's word will encourage you. They were the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Get out of the devotionals. Get out of the popular fad authors of the day. And go back to the author who said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away.